Have you seen our website at generationspeople.org? You can explore it at any time for more information about the ministry and life of our congregation, past, present, and future. We also have another site just for mobile phone users at generationspeople.mobi for the same purposes. These are great online options to connect with our congregation and ministry. Within our websites and through other sites, we want you to listen to our podcasts. We have provided access to our teaching to everyone, everywhere, at any time, in any place, via your smartphone, tablet, or computer. It is our desire to freely share biblical truths and to see God's Word multiplying, like it did in the early church, as recorded in Acts 6, 7, 12, 24, and 19, 24. So find the multiple opportunities we have for you to be encouraged by finding our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Just enter Generations Church of Granbury in their search windows and subscribe yourself for free downloads. Through our websites and podcasts, we want to equip, inform, and encourage your life 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We'll see you next time. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 6, the 6th chapter of the Gospel of John. Beginning with verse 51, the context is the day before he had fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread and two fish. A little boy had given his lunch and he got back a harvest of 12 baskets full of food. And the next day the crowd is hungry again. Many of them had camped out on the shores of Galilee and discovered Jesus was gone. So they found out where he was and made a long trek. So by the time they got to him, they were really hungry, expecting him to do it again. They uh, were expecting the fulfillment of a prophecy that Moses gave that the day would come when God would send a prophet like him. And, of course, Jesus was indeed the prophet of all prophets and was like Moses, but not like, not like Moses in that he was going to feed them every day with a miracle meal. Uh, Moses was used by God to lead the children of Israel from slavery into towards uh, on the borders of the promised land. It took 40 years. It's a whole long story. During the course of the 40 years, they were fed daily for a big part of that with heaven's angel food, uh, manna, which means what is it, what you might call it, was coming down from heaven. Every day was was food that they partook of, that they'd fallen from the sky. And so here Christ, the new Moses, as it were, the prophet of all prophets, had fed them miraculously, and the next day they're expecting that. And what Christ is doing is pointing to himself as the manna. I am the bread that you need for eternal life. You ate physical bread yesterday, now you're hungry again. I've got bread you know not of, it's me. John 6:51 reading from the New King James version Jesus said I am the living bread which came down from heaven If anyone eats of this bread or of me he will live forever and the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world And he gave his bread, his flesh, on the cross. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? Give us his flesh to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, 
unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So he just drove the point further, further confused them. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. There's the key to what he's talking about. He's talking about not only his offering of himself, the shedding of his blood, and the breaking of his body on the cross until he was dead, for the sins of the world, but he's talking about a relationship with himself, abiding in me and me abiding in them. It's about abiding, living in community, in relationship. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. My life comes from the Father. Father sustains me, and whoever feeds on me, he's talking about a relationship that begins with believing, followed up by calling in faith upon him, will live or be sustained because of me. The Father gives me life, and I'm going to give life to those that feed on me, that that depend upon me completely for their spiritual sustenance. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. He's talking about the giving of himself on the cross. And through faith in what he did and receiving it as you would a meal for yourself, you receive the benefits of that. He died, we live. He suffered, were blessed. He poured out, we drink in. He became naked, we became clothed. He became sin, we become the righteousness of God. He came down, we go up. He came out, we go in. It's a wonderful exchange. His death upon the cross can be viewed as the worst sin that's ever been committed against the most innocent person that's ever lived. And God the Father beheld that sin, and instead of cooking the planet at that moment, he used that moment to redeem all of us. That's the kind of love he has for us. That's the ultimate of sin. You know, if someone sins against you, it hurts, right? But someone sins against your child, it really hurts. It may not even be that they sinned. You just perceived that someone has mistreated your child, and It's a pain beyond words. The ultimate sin, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate redemption, so that we can have relationship with God. Well, it's like we always say, like my relationship with God, is, uh, it's not private, but it is certainly personal. I don't see him as being human, so you can't have a human relationship with him. Tayo ek mayroong personal na relationship sa Dios dahil sa scripture at sa pagmamahal natin sa anak niyang si Jesus. There are people who believe that that uh, uh, what shirt I put on this morning that, that God cared what shirt I put on. That's nonsense. I do think God is so big and so vast that um, 
We'll never get to know him exhaustively. I felt like I heard a voice from heaven speak to my situation and tell me that everything was going to be okay. And I've lived a blessed life since then, since turning my life to God. You have to experience it for yourself. I think it's it's something hard to describe unless you're actually willing willing to go there. Today we're looking at this question, can I know God in person? There is a form of belief called deism, where a person believes there's a God, but he's not really intimately involved in our affairs. There's no such thing as a relationship with him. He's like the watchmaker that wound up the watch or keeps the watch wound, and all the parts of the watch are kind of on their own, an impersonal view of God. Almost all the other religions of the world basically is, and I say almost because there may be some that I don't know about, but basically are an attempt to search for God, an attempt to try to please God. But the Christian faith is based on a relationship with God. We believe from what we're going to hear today, based on what the book says and what we've experienced, that there's a relationship with God that is personal. If you've not yet tasted it, That relationship is available to you. David wrote in the Psalms, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's a good, good father. And you're loved by him. That's who you are. Yes, that's who you are. I like that song. But first of all, let's let's kind of start with a deistic view. In nature, we understand God as creator. I mean, this is is faith one-on-one. This is the basic. We have proof of his existence all around us. Somebody's out on a lake right now saying, I'm spending time with God in nature. And you can't experience God in nature because of just how beautiful things are. Look at what Romans 1 verse 20 says. For since the creation of the world, his, meaning God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen. We see order. We see beauty. We see vastness and immensity and immeasurableness, and yet we see intricate detail, evidence that somebody designed this thing. Uh, The reason this building hasn't fallen down upon us is there were some engineers involved at at, um, Midwest Metal Buildings that sold us this structure, and some training involved in constructing it together. It didn't just happen. We didn't just throw some sticks on the side of a hill and get under it and expect not to get hurt. Uh, when I was a kid, I played with G.I. Joe. Yes, the pastor played with dolls. Barbie never liked him because he was always beating up Ken. But that was part of my weird childhood. We didn't have television, so we were our own entertainment. And I decided that G.I. Joe needed some better clothes. And we were living in the jungle at the time, so I got a scrap of cloth and laid G.I. Joe down on it and cut out as best I could around his body twice and then attempted to sew those things together. And what I came up with was a mangled mess. He didn't look like G.I. Joe. He didn't look like anything the government would issue any soldier. He looked like a version of Rambo after one of his really bad gunfights. Design requires a designer. Creation implies a creator. This is so simple, 
You have to be educated to miss it. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. All right, right now I'm just going to show you a little clip. Uh, you could go on for years studying creation. This is just a little clip that focuses on the intricate details, some of them, of the human cell. Computer chips contain two billion tiny switches. They're packed into a slice of silicon, smaller than a dime. Isn't that amazing? Human cells contain DNA, which is like our blueprint. These blueprints tell our cells how to function and develop. A single strand of one DNA in one cell could be up to two meters long. Yet a human cell nucleus is one one-hundredth, one percent of a millimeter in diameter. Fractional shapes are used to densely pack that two-meter length of DNA into human cells that are in diameter one percent of one millimeter. Trillions of times more dense than a computer chip. In nature, we understand God is creator. In prophecy, we each can know him relationally. In Jeremiah chapter 9, the Lord says, Let not a wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. 24-7, he prophesies, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They shall be my people. I will be their God. They shall return to me with their whole heart. Fulfillment of that prophecy is us in this very room. We're returning to the Lord with our whole heart. That's why we're taking time out of a rainy weekend, because we want to grow in knowing the Lord more. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four came this prophecy. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. The privilege of knowing God intimately is not thus the privilege of a monk or some holy man somewhere or some rare form of guruism or a nun or the ultimate of priests or preachers in the world. You can know God as intimately as anybody else. The gifts of the Spirit are available to you. In fact, there's a closeness to God that's available to all of us. And this may be hard to hear, but this is the truth. Once you learn the truth, you are as close to God as you want to be. Because what we want in life, we will do our best to make room for. And if you want a close relationship with God, you will make room for that relationship. And a relationship with God is spelled with four letters, time, T-I-M-E. Give him some of your time every day and you will draw close to him. How close do you want to be to him? It's your opportunity. Come and get it. In prayer, we can know God individually. Even in the Old Testament, this was true. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. 
James echoed this in chapter 4. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's my heart today that this message speaks to us on two levels. First and foremost, if anyone does not have a relationship with God, that you would leave here with an awareness that there's one available to you. And maybe even start today. And then secondly, if you have a relationship with God, that you would realize that you're as close to him as you want to be. And there's a nearness to him that's available to you. Yes, you can be a mighty woman or man of God. In community, we can know him corporately. We know him individually, and we can know him corporately. Jesus said in Matthew 18, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. We're here. We're gathered in his name. He's in our midst. There's a corporate expression of the presence of God that is unique to the personal expression of his presence. And he relates to us at both levels, corporately, as a plural people, and individually. We cross two arms, vertical, me and Jesus got our own thing going, but George Jones don't stop there, also horizontal. John put it like this, if you can't love your brother who you have seen, how can you love God who you can't see? The closer we get to God, the closer we get to one another, because he makes us like himself, and he is love personified. He is love. And so his love is unconditional, and our love will become more unconditional. And his love is transitional. He takes us like we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. And our, our love becomes like that. We help other people to grow in their life. Can I know God personally? In Christ, we can know God personally through what he did for us on the cross. Colossians 1 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness, or all the fullness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwells in Christ, should dwell. And by him to reconcile or restore relationship all things to himself by him. So through Jesus, God relates to us. He's the prism of God, God who's whose unapproachable light shines through the person of Christ so that we can see all the beautiful colors of his personality and his love. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. He is God manifested in the flesh. He said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The invisible God is made visible in Christ. The omnipresent, everywhere present God is made present in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So this is done through Christ. So through Christ, we can know God personally. The rest of verse 20 says, Whether things are on heaven, whether things on earth, or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is through what Jesus did for us. John said this in chapter 5 of his first letter. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. Can we say no? Not just about him but actually know him. Not secondhand. You can know him firsthand. During the 1968 campaign for president, for some reason, Hubert Humphrey came to Liberia. And we lived close to the airport, so I was there. I was within 12 feet of Hubert Humphrey. 
And he shook the hand of the person next to me, but didn't shake my hand. So when he moved on down the line, I shook the hand of the person next to me. So your pastor's the guy who shook the hand that shook the hand of Hubert Humphrey. Knowing God is not like that. He has no grandchildren. He just has children. And husbands, God is your father-in-law also. So he's given us this understanding. We can know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. So we're in this relationship that is amazing and personal. This is the true God and eternal life. In John 17, Jesus prayed before being arrested, and he prayed for us. He blessed his disciples. He prayed for those who were believing in him, and he prayed for those who would believe in, them, believe in him through the word of those that were believing in him. That's us. That's where things get passed down from generation to generation, the truth of the gospel. And then when we believe the gospel, no longer does that generational thing happen. We're directly connected to the Almighty. Can I get an Amen. Do I believe in wife? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, who doesn't? I believe in wife. So do you think you live your life any differently because you believe in wife? I mean, I mean yeah. I, I, I put the toilet seat down. If that counts. Do you ever talk to wife? No, man. Uh, I'm not, I, you know, I don't really talk to wife. I'm not... I'm not one of those wife nuts. Oh, yes. I believe in mom. What do you think mom is like? I think she's big and powerful and she wants me to be happy. What makes you happy? Being comfortable and doing my own thing and not being bothered by my sister. Anything else? Um, getting lots of toys. Does mom ever ask you to do anything? If she did, that wouldn't make me very happy. Sounds like mom is pretty easygoing. Oh yes, she's very nice. I think she's smiling on me right now. Yeah, I believe in boss. I mean, my views probably aren't orthodox, but sure. Yeah, I believe in boss. Can you describe some of your views of boss? Well, I think boss is really whatever we make him or her out to be. I mean, each person decides what kind of boss they want to believe in. And I don't think anybody should try to impose their views or act like their boss is the true boss. I mean, that's just intolerant. So you don't think it matters whether you're right about boss or not? Well, I don't really use words like right or wrong. I mean, I think it's all relative. You may see one thing about boss and I see another thing about him or her. Maybe you think that boss says things like, get back to work and be on time and that's fine, whatever, I'm okay with that. But don't act like I have to believe in that kind of boss.
You believe in God, James wrote, the devils also believe and tremble. They don't have a relationship with him. You may say, yeah, preacher, you're just typical American. You think everything you do is better. Typical Texan, everything's bigger, everything's better. Your God can kick everybody else's gods, but, well, you really can. That's not the point of the sermon today. When you say almighty, means almighty. <laughs> if he's a most high God, there's not one higher the God is revealed through the scriptures is one that wants to have a relationship with us. Look at some of the identities of Jesus. Even before he was born, Isaiah chapter 9 prophesied his name would be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What do those two things have in common? Relationship. What is peace? The healing of relationships. What is everlasting father? Someone that will never stop caring for his children. Wonderful counselor. When you pour out your troubles to him, he'll do more than say, tell me how that makes you feel. He knows how it makes us feel. And he's able to give us a word of encouragement that will carry us through our trial because he has a relationship with us. He's the builder of his church. We are living stones. He's the foundation and the builder, and we are being jointly fit together. Sounds relational to me. He's the head of his body. Everybody has a head on their bodies. The picture of the church is the body of Christ. He's He's the groom, and the church is the bride. Relational. He's the great high priest, one we go to in time of need, one we go to if we've sinned and need strength. He's a friend of sinners, very relational. He's our elder brother. I mean, this is a God that wants to have what? Relationship. He's the firstborn, Jesus is the firstborn of many sons. He's a Holy Spirit baptizer and our sanctifier. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's all about relationship. He's the Savior of the world, 1 John 4.14. Redeeming mankind back to himself. Look at his I am statements. They tie in to this relational aspect of his nature. I am the light of the world. Let me shine on you. (laughs) Come out of darkness into my marvelous light. I am he. When the woman at the well said, I know Messiah is coming. He said, I am he. I'm the Messiah. The one that redeems. The one that unites. The one that reconciles. I am the way. Walk in me. I am the truth. I am the life. Believe in me and live in me. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why would we go to the Father? Through Christ. For a relationship. I am the resurrection. Believe in me. You'll never die. I am the door. Come on in. I am the good shepherd. Let me lead you. 
as a shepherd does his sheep. I am the true vine. You are the branches. Every branch that abides in me bears much fruit. Relationship. I am the bread of life. Feed on me and have eternal life. You see it? I don't want to be redundant, but this is too good to pass over. Look at this. Some of his commands are actually invitations to relationship. Repent. That's definitely one. Turn from your sinful ways and turn to me. Follow me. That was one of the first commands he gave to everybody during his earthly life. Believe in me. Become as a child. Let me take you in my arms and bless you. Come unto me, all you that are weary or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest for your souls. Take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The yoke of relationship. Drink. Come unto me and drink. Drink my water of life. Out of you will flow rivers of living water. Receive the Holy Spirit. This isn't just a spiritual experience. This is a spiritual relationship. There have been plenty of people had an experience of receiving the Holy Spirit, but there's no relationship. There's no breathing. There's no life there. It's something they look back to at the past. Yes, I know God's hand is on me. But there's no assurance of salvation. There's no joy in their life. Open your door. I'm knocking at your door. Open it. Let me, let me dine with you. In a minute, we're going to take communion together. But Before we do, I want us to meditate on this promise, Revelation 3.20. Jesus tells this church in this letter he dictates to John, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me will have this relational fellowship now we read that with our western mindset and we think of you know door knockers we think of knocking on the door and you know i've never heard god knock on my door what is he talking about well having lived in the third world you know thousands of miles east of here where people in huts don't have doors, or if they do, it's a skin or fabric hanging over their door. If you knocked on it, you couldn't hear it. Or if you knocked on the house, chunks of mud might fall off. And so it's just custom in that culture. Even people that have real houses and doors, they don't knock on the door. They come to your door and holler, knock, knock, or or bok, bok. Is the Lord speaking to you? Give me some time today. I want you to pray. Is he impressing on you something spiritual? That's him knocking at your door. When that happens, don't take it for granted. He's a gentleman. He doesn't barge in on us. If he does, something's really wrong. He's gentle and just wants... Us, out of love for him, to be relational with him. There's this give and take thing in a relationship with God that he respects your boundaries. And it's a good thing he does because he's so strong he could crush us, right? 
So he wants to relate to us, and he'll put urges in your spirit. This is him knocking at your door to pray, to... to, to uh, I'm not talking about hours and days of fasting and all this stuff. I'm just talking about basically initiating conversations with God where he's able to speak to you. And it could lead to that. But it could be something he's wanting to say to you right now. It's him knocking at your heart's door. Here we practice open communion. And I'll tell you why. Maybe a little different from your theology. We practice open communion because I believe the very first communion service that Jesus instituted with his disciples was open. Everyone there was able to partake. And those guys were not converted. Yet the Lord served them to convey the message of the gospel to you. So everyone here is welcome to partake of this. Maybe you visited a church and you weren't allowed and it made you feel like an outsider. You're allowed to here because we believe this is a picture of the gospel. Christ's body was broken because we are broken. So that we could be healed. So that our relationships could be mended. Christ's blood was poured out for our sins. So that our sins could be washed away and we receive the benefit of his sacrifice by faith and we celebrate that through the bread and the cup